You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting equipment, and we have a fun show for you all today. On this week's episode, I was joined by fellow Pennsylvania native Travis Milochek. Travis and I grew up in the same area in northeastern Pennsylvania, and Travis runs the Anthracite Antler Attic content page, Instagram, YouTube, some really cool things coming down the pipeline from these guys and specifically from Travis. And take it from me, in the name, but Travis cut his teeth growing up chasing bucks in the mountains of the coal region. No easy task, but Travis continues to put the work in and reaps the rewards. One aspect that Travis and I both believe in when it comes to hunting is the nonstop passion for learning, growing, and developing as a hunter. And I think you will all enjoy this week's episode because Travis and I cover a few different topics relating to the whitetail woods. So to kick off this episode, we get a quick introduction on how Travis began tackling the tough terrain of the cold region. We transition to stories and lessons learned from this past hunting season. We discuss what Travis keys in on during his scouting missions, how he specifically prioritizes the pieces he plans to hunt, not only this year, but also for next year. Like we loved, loved this specific discussion on this topic. And then we get into scrape talk, deer calling, again, scouting on future hunts, hunting in specific elevations and what sign and where where he really finds uh, a lot of the action. Uh, also, wouldn't be out of another podcast and talking scouting and deer without some trail cam talk and how he kind of maps out his uh, philosophy regarding that. I believe you'll take a lot away from this episode. I look forward to, to spending some time with Travis this summer when we go out scouting and in the fall, we're going to get together for some hunts. So check out also our website under the in the field tab where we have some articles posted. Travis was able to write one for us this week. Awesome piece. Great for any level hunter. So definitely check it out and uh, let us know uh, what you think about it. Thanks again, everybody, for uh, all the support. If you like what you hear, Go leave us a five-star review, whether it's on iTunes. Go write a you know little blurb, too, about it. And then also on Spotify, we really appreciate the support. Also want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Mike, Jim, and Lyle for what a great day at the uh, Mountain Archery Fest this past year or this past weekend at, uh, was it Camp Freedom? Fun trip, fun event. Definitely going to uh, do that again next year. Uh, so, yeah. So, thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week, Antler Up. Before we dive into this week's episode, I want to mention a few things regarding some of my favorite gear that I use. And right now, turkey season's in full swing. 
plan on doing an episode again uh, next week with Aaron Hepler. That's going to recap a little bit of uh, my Ohio and PA uh, turkey hunts. So lucky enough to tag out there. Uh, and again, like I said last week, tried out the M2 vest this past uh, year. Loved it. I'm really looking forward to what I could do with it in the whitetail woods. So made right here in the USA. Check it out over at tethernation.com. Also, there's going to be some really cool new products coming down the pipeline from Tethered. So be sure to be signed up on their newsletter, uh, follow on Instagram, YouTube, everything that you can find Tethered products. Amazing people, great, great, great products. So check it out over at tethernation.com. Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of MMT arrows from Exodus Outdoor Gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. And use code AU12 to save 12% off your custom set over at exodusoutdoorgear.com. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antlera Podcast. I'm joined by fellow Pennsylvanian, Northeastern Pennsylvania pride, man. We got Travis Melochek from Anthracite Antler at Attics. Dude, pleasure to have you on, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, dude, it's I, I trust me, this is a long time coming, and I really appreciate you time, your time coming on. I know you work crazy hours and uh, trying to find the the right time, the right day to to do this, and this is uh, perfect because I feel like now is when people start tuning back in a little bit to podcasts that take a little bit of a break and go and get ready for the whitetail season, and that's what I'm I'm all all ready for, man. So uh, pleasure to have you on, dude. Uh, it's an honor to be on here, man. You know, I talked to you at the sportsman show. We talked about doing the podcast, maybe a few scouts over the summer and whatnot. Yep. So, you know, you said long time coming right around that time there. Everybody's getting out in the woods, wanting to see antler growth. So, you know, everybody's starting to listen to podcasting and stuff, just like you said. Yep, absolutely. So before we get rolling, dude, I, like I said, obviously Northeastern Pennsylvania, you know, we kind of grew up, I would say in that same heritage of, hunting since we we're really young you know what kind of other things could you really you know talk a little bit about yourself uh, as far as letting the listeners know like what you got going on as far as your page and you know and, and I know like again we'll talk about some things that you're doing as far as content and all that so you know mm -hmm. give a quick brief little introduction a little bit about yourself dude well I grew up in you know the heart of the Anzite region Schuylkill County here um yeah I Grew up hunting and fishing, just like pretty much everybody did around here. A uh, little bit more involved, I'd say, because the kids up the street. Well, my dad been taking me out in the woods since I was probably big enough to walk. So <laughs> we'd be going on scouting missions, tree stand building missions, and everything else like that. And when I was about probably four or five, he would take me actually out on hunts in archery season. Whether you know we'd be climbing up twenty feet in like a built stand out of sticks, you know, he'd lash me to the freaking tree with a rope. And then uh, I just sit there with him the whole time or he'd stash me in like a rock pile with binoculars while he went up and climbed up another tree, like maybe about 25 yards away. But he said he was really impressed that I could keep quiet, you know, being at that type of age. Oh, but yeah. He said right, right then and there, he's like, I knew you would be ready for it because you just were 
calm, cool, collected. You stayed quiet and you just moved real slow. So yeah, I but, like uh, I like that you said the key word there, building, building the tree stands. Because I those days are I remember those days pretty vividly. Yeah, here, here's a saw. Go cut down that sapling. We're gonna use that for rungs all the way up. You know, <laughs> yeah, sixteen penny nails driving them in and everything yep. else. Exactly. Ugly, ugly stands, but you know they worked. Absolutely, they did work. Yeah. So keep building, man. Keep building on on. Uh, I guess to what led you do doing your thing, what you're doing now. Well, I, you know, I really got addicted to archery hunting probably when I was, well, I started when I was 13. I tried to go when I was 12. My dad said, eh, I don't think you're strong enough here. And he gave me exercise tubing that keep drawing back repeatedly. He goes a hundred times every night until you're strong enough to draw a bow back. So when I hit 13, I was able to draw a bow back and started taking me. I ended up shooting my first, uh, after about five misses, I shot my first year with, uh, with a compound bow and, uh, I was hooked ever since. And then I spent three years in the service where I couldn't archery hunt, which that killed me. Like every time it was fallout, like we had block leave. We could only take leave at certain times of the year. It was either in August or around Christmas. So spend time with the family. I'd take Christmas, but every time the leaves would be changed and I'd be like dying. I'm like, I need to be home and in the stand. Yeah. And then when I got home, it was like, all right, hit the ground run. Boom. I was hundred miles an hour archery all the time. And, uh, I spent years, just bow hunting locally. And then a friend of mine introduced me to Ohio and New Jersey. I started hunting those States. And then, uh, I want to say probably about four years ago, uh, me and a couple of buddies of mine were just kind of talking about how the industry was, how we're getting kind of like away from watching the TV shows and everything. It was just unrealistic expectations and unrealistic scenarios. And even nowadays such, uh, you have the, a lot of big namers out there that have their wealth of information on deer, but their situations and the way they hunt just didn't apply to us. Right. And their information didn't like, like I said, it didn't translate well to us. We're like, well, you couldn't pull that shit off here. Yeah. So they're like, we should really do something to represent the people in our area. So let's start our own thing. So push come to shove. I was like, Oh, anthracite antler addicts. That sounds great. And they're like, that's badass. Let's run with it. So it's just pretty much me and like a handful of my friends that we hunt seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously at all. It's like, we're a bunch of clowns, but we love to hunt and we hunt hard. You know, there's very few people that I trust more than these guys because I'm trusting them with my hunting spots. So, you know, that around here is like gold. Oh dude. And I know that. And that's, you know, what you said, you, you take your hunting serious, but you don't take yourself serious. Right. And, oh, absolutely. and so between that and between what you're saying, how kind of like you're saying, but you can't really relate to some of these quote unquote big, you know, TV people. So you make it relatable. Right. And that's what yes. it, it's fun. Like even some of like, I love like there's, like I was, we were talking before we started hitting record here, we we're saying about you, if you go on a hunting trip with someone you might've just recently met, you're, you, you could probably tell within five minutes if you're in good company. Right. And that's when yeah, you, when yeah. you kind of interact and that's the one thing dude, that I've always appreciated. Like, do we share trail cam photos? We bounce other ideas and what, what we're going through. Like we know we're in mm-hmm. good company. Right. And that's relatable. It's uh, you trust yeah. each other in a sense. And, you know, we didn't really hang out for what more than 10 minutes other than the outdoor show. And you, I mean, and, and so forth. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you know, you're just very relatable to each other. And it's, yep. it's, 
I try to like, and I've told you this before, you know, on messages and stuff that I try to relate to the blue collar man, the working yep. man, because that's what I am. I work second shift. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm lucky that I work second shift and I enjoy it because I can hunt every morning, but you know, there's guys out there that are working swing shift and everything else trying to make it happen. And they're just as hard a hunter as I am, but they just don't have as much time. And I use my page to help put out information that might make the best use of the time that they have. And I also use it as like a bragging board for everybody to come together and celebrate everybody's, you know, kills, everybody's trophies and whatnot. And uh, I think that's just a great way to build the community up and not like tear it down or tear it apart. Now, I will say sometimes I go in there and I stir the shit pot a little bit (laughs) because that's just me and my nature. But, uh, you know, it's always in good conversation and and good humor. You know, if you bring negativity to my site, you know, you're gone. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that's why I put it out there for, and that's why I really started it because, you know, it's also to gain knowledge too, because there's tons of times I'll put out a top of a conversation and I put out my opinion, but I say I'm always open to suggestions. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm always constantly learning. And that's a great part about having a social media page like that because you get in contact with other people that are hell of a lot better than you or they have just a different type of thought process than you that may open doors for you. Dude, 100%. I love the fact that you were saying how like you come and you celebrate other people's successes because I've done that too. Like with, with my antler up page, like on Instagram, I love when friends, Mm -hmm. other people that I really don't even know or fellow guests that I just interact with for an hour, hour and a half. And really that's the Mm -hmm. only other time we talk other than maybe through, you know, private messages on Instagram and all that type of stuff. Like I love seeing that. Right. And like you said, this, when people ask about the antler up podcast, like, what is it? I just say I'm a teacher is my day job. So I believe in that continuously learning and and furthering your education. And to a certain point, right. That doesn't mean college. And it could just mean, you know, anything. And that's where this branch is off in. And that's exactly what, you know, I've learned to, like we were just saying, I've, I've been in the same boat with the turkey hunting thing, right? I grew up mm-hmm. hunting with my dad and we would go out, but I wasn't a diehard, right? We got more, I think, lucky than we did saying we're good. And then as I grew older, man, I grew further away from it because of coaching and life obligations. And finally I was like, all right, well, where could I learn from people? I've listened to uh, certain, I don't really, I wouldn't say I listen to podcasts about it, but just listen to fellow hunters. There's a Andrew Mills lives down the road. I've had him on our mm-hmm. podcast twice and dude's a Turkey slayer. I, I say he's about five. Uh, I'm, I'm probably stretching it. It'd probably be less than that, but like five years, maybe away from killing a Turkey in every state you could kill a Turkey in. Right. Jesus. Like, dude, he's an animal. And I, I take everything he's like, he says as, really as the gospel, right? Like, okay, what do you yeah. think? And hearing that and, you know, it's proven, you right? Know I mean? It's, it's proven in the pudding right there. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's what, you know, kind of learned the same thing as with my dad. My dad loves, like, don't get me wrong. He loves, loves, loves whitetails. Number one, but dude, turkey hunting and small game, because that's what he grew up doing is, is, oh, yeah. is right there on the heels as well. So yeah, man, I, I love, Exactly what you said. Relatable. The the fun things like the serial killer, you know, stuff that you have going on. Like, <laughs> dude, I love that stuff. Like, it's a lot of like, like I said, a lot of twisted and dark humor added in there too. Yeah. You know, what I mean, because we're all individually different, and it's good to have a laugh from a different angle every once in a while, fresh breather. Now, if you notice, I I, I 
a lot on my pages and whatnot on my posts i have punk and heavy metal music rather than you know traditional yep. country stuff i try to stand out a little bit differently than than you know well, most people dude man you're just being you and that's awesome i love yeah. it dude no I, I appreciate it like you said it is a breath of fresh air all right dude well here's what i wanted before we dive into certain things um, okay. after following you along this past season, I love keeping up with some of the deer you were after, what you were hunting for. Um, you know, give a recap, uh, I guess of your, your whitetail season. Right. And then what I want you to do is do that. And then we could dive into like what you did prior to the season and like mm-hmm. what now changes you're making for next season. Right. Cause again, before we yeah. went, we went live, you were talking about, setting up mock scrapes for 2024. So no, so not even next year, like this upcoming year, you're doing it for the following year. So doing things like that. So yeah. I guess talk about your past hunting season, what went into prior during all that jazz. Uh, well, this previous hunting season, the one that we just ended, uh, yeah, I got in there early. I always start my scouting around December. As soon as your rifle season's out, I'm out there starting to pound the ground already because to me, I like to see the woods, and I hate scouting with snow. I hate it. Yeah. Some people love that shit. I don't. I believe it gives a false narrative where the animals actually are at the time during archery season. So I like to see the land as is when it's during the fall. So I can be able to see the scrapes. I can be able to see, you know, everything looks different when it's barren ground, when, it's, when there's no snow on the ground. So I really like that. So I'll start scouting in December. January, February, March. And uh, by that time, I think I had over 300 miles logged on my boots. It was something ridiculous. My friend's like, you're pretty much living in the woods. <laughs> Every time, when you're not at work, you live in the woods. I say, yeah, that's a fair assessment. And uh, yeah, I found a lot of spots and set up my trail cameras. Uh, me and my buddy, Luke, he's kind of like, uh, <laughs> well, say two seasons ago, he was my apprentice. This year, he he's on the crew. But uh yeah, this year we set me and him shared cell cameras, so we set them up in areas. And uh, when I want to say around August, I think we were running like 35 regular SD card cameras, and then we were running like seven or eight trail uh, cell cameras. But uh, we got I want to say northward of like 10 shooter bucks, mature deer that we were going to go after, and probably even more to be honest, because he has. This was just on pu- public, I'm counting. On private, he had probably three or four more others on private ground that he had access to that that were serious deer. And, uh, yeah, we broke into the archery season with a uh, head full of steam. I, I went right to one of the one of my best spots because I wanted to get in there early. If Even if it wasn't to get a crack at the buck, just to see what the deer movement was like in that position. We had a cell camera up in there, and uh, we were getting them in that gray light a lot. And... I said, well, if I'm going to get in there, I'm going to get in there 90 minutes early and just really let everything settle down. And I'm going to say it was the first week of archery. So I got in there and I didn't see the buck. However, I got notification on the cell camera that was quite further down the mountain that he was in the area. So I was like, all right. So at least I kind of know he's still in the area. They didn't disperse or anything. Right, right. But I did see a pile of dough come up and they came up the exact way I thought they were going to. And they used the area the exact way I thought they were going to use it. So I was like, okay, I'm making a mental note of this, and I'm backing out. And I backed out also because Luke had hit a really big buck on that private property. Unfortunately, we didn't recover that deer, but uh, it was still it was an experience for him. It would have been his first archery buck. So 
he thinks he knows where he hit it, but at the same time, he came back to me at a later date and said, I, the adrenaline rush just took over, and I, I really can't remember. I said, it happens to everybody. Yeah. Eventually, you'll, you'll get over it, but you know, you really got to try and calm yourself down before making that, before making that shot. It's tough to do, and buck fever gets us all. So don't hang your head too low, man. Just get back up on that saddle and ride again. Yeah. So as, as the season progressed, I actually saw more bucks than does. And I was kind of getting frustrated at that because I wanted to get a doe in a freezer. Because first and foremost, I'm not paying for me. I yeah. hate it. Yeah. I hate it. So I want to fill that freezer. I never got a chance at a doe. I just kept seeing bucks and smaller ones and passing them. And there was a cold front that came through, I'm going to say mid-October. And I bumped into one of my good spots. And I passed two bucks up that morning. They came within shooting range and they weren't the one that I was after. And the one I was after, I called a berserker because every scrape that I doctored up, he trashed the looking branch. <laughs> he ripped it completely off. So what I did every time I'd go back in there, I would tie it right back up with this yarn and then resent it, reapply. And then I started adding tarsal glands. Well, next time I went in, he tore it off again. And then he went and just smashed every tree rub wise within like 15, 20 yards of that, of that scrape. He just like shredded the whole entire place out. That day I went in there. I was like, I'm not shooting anything unless it's him. And he just never showed. So I had to get down at about 10 o'clock cause I had, you know, second shift. So I had to get down the mountain. Plus where I go, that was two and a half mile hike up the mountain to get back in there. Yeah. So you have to, you know, allow time to get back down, get ready for work and go several good bucks that went by me throughout the season. Um, nothing that I wanted to shoot except for on November, I want to say fourth. Okay. I got in, I got in there nice and early in the same spot that I had the berserker was I checked the camera in the dark and there was probably six shooters that were using that whole area. I just cruising back and forth. I'm like, Oh, it's on. And at that point in time, I thought to myself, I want to go hunt Ohio and I want to go hunt, uh, Maine as well. (laughs) So, I'm in an area of opportunity where there's multiple shooters cruising. I'm not going to be picky. If Berserker comes, he's definitely dead. If another big one comes, you know, I'm not being picky at that point. Right. So I'm making calls. You know, I, I have a specific set of calls. I do. I'll hit my bleed can. I'll hit it three times, five seconds in between. And then the third time I hit it, I do a stutter bleed. And when I use the bleed can, I normally just do a regular bleed, have regular Primo's bleed can. I just tip it halfway. I don't do the big long bleat. Right. Just a little quick, you know, bleat. And then the third one, I do a stutter bleat, and I just tilt the can and I shake it a little bit to make it stutter as it goes. Making it sound like the dough's moving. <clears throat> yeah. And then immediately after or during it, I'll hit the grunt call, and I use a like a really cheap, like I think it's a flambo or some type of yeah. cheap Walmart grunt call. But I want to sound immature i want to sound young and i want to sound beatable because for some reason i think if you go ahead and blow a big buck roar overly mature buck grunt called deep crawl deep call you'll end up scaring the deer away nine times out of ten so if i sound like some little piss ant trying to bug in on these guys ladies he's gonna come marching in so immediately after i do that stutter bleed i'll go ahead and hit that uh immature buck grunt call like a tending grunt real short grunts and uh i put my calls away i remember the wind was supposed to be south 
west that day, which is perfect from where I was. It was coming up the same way the deer were coming up. I'm thinking, this is great. Um, I'm in ghost mode at this point. Yep. And then all of a sudden, I just start feeling it doing like parkour off the trees. I'm like, what is going on here? It switched like six times. So I went to go get my little windicator out. And that little bit of motion, I heard two big jumps. And I just sucked my head down. And I said, he's behind me. And I looked behind me, and I just saw the big golden rack on him. He has like a very yellowish rack with dark bases. And I just saw the size of it. And oh. the thing about it was, is it's not like he ran, like dashed out of there. He took two big jumps, looked around, put his head back down, and just snuck off real yeah. slow. So it gave me hope, but it killed me at the same time. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. It gave me hope that he wasn't spooked too much, that just maybe just the motion kind of freaked him out a bit. But uh, I thought to myself, he'll be back. So fast forward to the couple days later, I, uh, yeah, it was the following week, and I remember seeing that uh, Tuesday had the perfect win for the spot that I was on uh, October 8th, the day Luke hit that buck. And uh, I was going to go back there, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was going to put serious time in uh, the Berserker Buck area. And then I get a call from a friend of mine who's a uh, game commission forester, or forestry tech and says, hey, we're burning that area of the game lands. I'm like, what area? And he pointed it out on the map, and it's like right where Berserker is. And I just like, I was like, no, you're joking. You're clowning, man. I sense clowns. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm pretty serious. It's on the, he goes, it's on the schedule. Like, I got pretty verbally aggressive with him. And he's like, it's not my fault. I don't make these decisions. I'm like, yeah. I, I understand. I'm just venting. Yeah. So Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at SpartanForge.ai. I don't understand. I don't mean, like, I don't try to remember your train of thought because we had that too here on our public land mm-hmm. right before, yeah. the, like, it was in November. Like, what in their mm-hmm. right minds makes them be like, hey, Middle of November, let's do a control burn. Like, did your buddy give you at least a reasoning? Listen, according to him, he says there's certain times of the years, there's two times of the year that really meet the conditions that are needed to be able to control the burn. Okay. And he says it's the spring and then it's the fall. And there's certain conditions that uh, when it's really dry, it's actually better because you figure the area we're at, they're trying to kill a lot of the laurel off because it is just it takes over. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It takes over. So they want to get rid of it and that holds a lot of moisture and it's a son of a bitch to burn. It has yeah. to get really hot for that to burn. So things have to be pretty dry for that to go, yeah. to go well. So I, I, I understand yeah. what they were trying to do and I don't hold it against them, <laughs> but it gets it more interesting. So I get that call and I'm like, well, Tuesday, if a good buck comes in, I'm killing it because I don't have time up there now. Mm-hmm. So Tuesday comes really windy out. I get outside in my outside of my apartment. I look up at the post office and I see the flag and it's like straight out. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> this is going to be great. This is going to be fantastic. So I was like, I got in my truck and I said, I want to go back to bed. I want to say, screw this. And I thought to myself, I said, 
screw it. I said, the days that you don't want to be out there are the days that it happens. When you stick it out, those are the days things happen. And I'm not bullshitting you. I said that mm -hmm. out loud. I was like, screw it. Got in my truck, got all the way up there, got in my stand nice and early. It was like 90 minutes before first light. I got all set up. I was only two sticks up in the stand or in the tree. I was like eight feet up. I got up in the spot. I was looking overlooking the scrape that I had done up and between wind gusts of 30 some miles an hour, it would get calm for a couple minutes. And then I do my call sequence. Yep. Well, the first calls, I had my camera set up, everything, everything was ready to go. After my first call sequence, I put my calls away. And I remember I texted Luke before I did my call sequence. And I, went, I said, when was the last time we got bucks on camera up here? Because it, it was his camera that was down the mountain further. I wanted to see if there was anything, you know, local. Now, I pulled the camera out. Of, I pulled the, go to pull the phone out of my pocket. And instantly I heard a crack. I went, shit. I looked to my left and he'd already, he was 20 yards and closing already. Like he didn't come from the trail that the does came up the previous time I sat there. Right. Like, he came through the laurels. There was no trail there. He like bulldozed through the laurels. I, went, I just, I saw the frame on him and I was just like, you're dead. <laughs> there was like <laughs> no, no time to think. I turned and grabbed my bow. By the time I turned my bow to face him, he was 10 yards by the time I clipped onto the, to the D loop with my release, he was three yards and then staring at me. I'm like, Oh, I'm just part of the tree. Go about your business. Ignore me, please ignore me. And then he just lost interest. So he started walking up behind me, which is downwind. And, uh, it's actually uphill. So by the time he got to about six steps from my tree, he was about eye level and I, drew back when he was moving still. And then he stopped to look at me and he raised his head to hit, get a, a whiff of the wind. And that's when I drilled him. And he only went about 40 yards. He ran uphill, which initially I talked, I talked to you about this before yep. running uphill kind of scares me, but his tail was tucked. He ran uphill and then he did this like cartwheel backwards. I'm like that hung the bow up. I'm like, all right, time yep. to get to work. Yep. So that was my, archery season for uh pennsylvania rifle season i took a junior out and i got him his first year that was a great oh, experience great job that's great awesome experience. i mean the kid really showed interest he helped me scout in archery season like in season archery season he helped me scout a few places and everything i taught him he like you know shot it right yeah. back at me yeah so i'm like okay i'm gonna take you out the first day so you know we saw a couple of deer didn't get a chance because it was too thick and then they came back from other hunters pushing him around and he got a shot and he made a perfect shot at 80 yards through the wood for a first time hunter. That was awesome. <laughs> That's impressive. So, That's great. I, I think I, I thought I broke his hand from fist bumping him so much, but <laughs> it, it was, it was a great experience. That is a great experience. But, uh, as far as what went into the season, I, I said lots and lots and lots of boots on the ground. I did hours and hours and hours of e-scouting, just looking over. And I really found that, between 1400 and 1500 feet of elevation in our area for me anyways in the spot that i hunt was the ticket for some reason that's where i found yeah. the bulk of the sign and and between uh, you get those uh, steeper areas where the elevation lines are you know stacked on top of each other real steep and then you get one that's just a little bit you know wonky that's a little bit wider mm -hmm. and usually right there you know, it's a hot, and I, that's one thing I keyed in on this year, this past season. Do you think and started really 
Yeah. Do you, do you think a lot of people, especially in our area that hunt the big woods, do you think people take that into consideration at all that the elevation difference and like really track think, that in the bigger woods? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's like down here is a little bit different than the big woods. It's not necessarily, you have elements of big woods. You have areas that are more open hardwoods, but it's, it's different in, in, in and around uh, Tamaqua around here. I mean, you do have ag, ag yep. fields out more towards South Tamaqua. You oh, grew yeah. up hunting around yep. that area in New yep. Ringgold, Orangeburg, and such, such like that. Yep. But where I'm focusing in is all old reclaimed mine ground. And a lot of that is uh, nightmarish stuff. It's not necessarily, like I said, your, your classic big woods area. And, uh, you know, certain terrain features, you think this saddle would look great and you get there and there's a million and it's impossible to get through because it's super thick with, you know, briars and blueberry and everything else. I mean, that's where they like to go because it's security cover. I mean, I've preached this a hundred times that they say, find a security cover. Well, it's everywhere. Okay. It's a thousand acres, thousand acres. That's the security cover. Where do you go from there? You know, where do you go from go in an area that, they could just bed down wherever they want. And they do, they just plop down random places because it's so thick. Yep. You do have to focus on certain spots. Like I said, with, uh, with topographics at, uh, terrain features and shit. Uh, like I said, if they're super stacked on top of each other and you see that little bit of a, a space between the lines, those little, you know, nooks and crannies like that can really produce. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, I really try to focus uh, this past season on communication hubs, okay. like piles and piles of scrapes. Um, I found one this past season. I'm going to hunt this year. I call scrape city. And I, I sent a, a picture of you and there's t- over 20 scrapes in the area. Yeah. And it's not that big of an area. And there's that many active scrapes in there. And it's just sign on top of sign. And as soon as you get outside that, that area, it, the sign disappears mm-hmm. until it's about another two miles down the mountain. Then you hit another one. So, uh, yeah, I did a smear campaign with cameras, just had them out everywhere and just trying to really get patterns down. Yeah. What, um, I know, and I know we've talked about it, especially like coming into this upcoming season, right. Where you said Mm -hmm. you don't plan on putting really any cameras out until like late summer. Like you don't care about watching Mm -hmm. them grow or anything like that. Was that still what you did this past year? Yeah. This past year I didn't start putting cameras out until June, uh, I, I lie. I had a few early cameras out. Uh, I went out with a, an older hunter. Uh, he wanted me to, to show him the ropes a little bit. So show him what he'd been missing. Cause he's more of a traditional hunter. He, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't really understand some of the modern sciences of sale. You know, I wouldn't say modern sciences, but, uh, modern methods of scrapes, like overmarking scrapes, making mock scrapes and stuff. So I wanted to show him how they use it year round. So I put out some, uh, scrape cameras in March and went and checked the cameras to show him here. There's proof. They use it year round. Yeah. So, but for the main point of it all, yeah, I didn't start really putting cameras that I wanted in kill areas until probably late June. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's just how I feel. Cause it, to me, it seeing them grow isn't important really anymore. I'm just going for the straight facts. Yeah. Like where are they, when, and how do they move in that type of stuff? Now, when you find Precisely. like, like when you found berserker, and you know you might have had him on a different camera did you start maybe adding more to an area did you move cameras because he wasn't on others like did you cluster did you do anything along those lines that really were trying to key in on that deer 
Well, the funny thing about Berserker was we actually had a run in him with the season before this okay. past one. And I thought he was killed by another hunter. It really, to me, it looked like him to Luke. Luke called my bullshit. He goes, that's not the same deer. Yeah. I'm like, all right, maybe I'm misremembering. And then when we checked the trail cameras, uh, I want to say in August, and we went through and there was a picture in July. He pointed, he goes, that's him. I went, yeah, you're right. That is him. Yeah. Uh, it, it just stuck out in my mind, his frame and everything. I'm like, that's the one. So actually we had probably three cameras in that area and he was on all three. Okay. So we knew we were close. Like we didn't even need to really adjust cameras. We knew he was in that area. So, and just the way it was laid out, it was really, really picturesque. And, and uh, we did have other hunters crowd in at some point in time. So I think that might've made him uh, really go slower and coming down to that area. So we were getting more night pictures. Yeah. Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of MMT arrows from Exodus Outdoor Gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. And use code AU12 to save 12% off your custom set over at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Cause I remember you, I remember you sending me some of those photos and you're, you were saying like, dude, he keeps coming around like gray light. Like, and you, and you mentioned that too, even mm -hmm. a couple of minutes ago and stuff like that. That's the frustrating part because I remember this past season, like even for me, we had, my dad had my dad's cameras more so than mine, just because of where I had mine located up on the mountain. He had that really big mm -hmm. nine or 10 or whatever he was this past year. And he, he was pretty, he wasn't a frequent flyer, but when he was, he was a consistent time. Do you know what I mean? Like if you had yeah. that couple day window, he was that same time for those couple days. So yeah, I, I'm hoping cause I, like I told my dad, I said, there's certain areas that I do want to put out another camera or two just to, just to see, does he, is, is he on them? You know what I mean? And if, if he's mm -hmm. not great, yep. check that box. Because like how you were saying earlier about certain you know, where did these deer bed, right? Like you know, that thick cover, it's like, yeah. well, shit, that thing is a hundred thousand acres. <laughs> like, and so like, my thing mm -hmm. is that mountain is so big. It, like, I just can't see him only traveling these certain little pockets just because it's, I mean, we've been on them and we've, yeah. he's only seen him twice. Like I haven't had an encounter with him yet. But, uh, yeah. you know, he has, so trying to locate him to see where he kind of maneuvers a little bit more. So this year we'll, we'll put out a couple more cameras just in different, you know, in the surrounding areas that he could potentially make his way through basically. Yeah. But. Yeah. I have, uh, according to all the Intel I pulled off my cameras from uh, after the season, I have a really nice nine point. He's probably in the one twenties. Um, he was freaking one particular scrape a lot, but I actually have him on probably better part of a mile and a half section of a ridge. Okay. Just on all these cameras running back and forth. Uh, also had a really good one, an older buck, a very mature buck on camera too, as well. I got shot by another hunter, uh, a local hunter. He, uh, 
I saw a picture online of it and I contacted him. I sent him some of the pictures I had of him. He's like, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he was more up on the mountain, a lot higher up on the mountain for the longest time running around. He's like, I, I didn't get pictures of him. And then for a while there, and then he, he ended up killing him and good on him. That was it. He, we, he had that buck on camera for years and I actually found, my brother found a shed from him and I had camera pictures. I think that there was probably somewhere around eight or nine years old. Wow. You know, running around up in the scrub oaks of, you know, old <laughs> reclaimed mine grounds. And yep. Like I said, in areas like that, it's super difficult to get them because they have no particular place to be. There's no agriculture for older for them to go eat. So, and, you know, the forest up there, uh, the woods up there, it's just the soil isn't the best. It's not well-drained soil, so you don't get really great mass crop production, and it's spotty. You know, one stand of white oaks may produce one year and the other isn't. You know, it's right. it's really all over the place. They're eating lots of lots of roughage and browse more than anything. And you know, the oaks when they produce when they can. And it's another thing is is when you're I'll show you when you when you come up here scouting, I have a few places to show you. You'll get these comb banks out of nowhere. Like it, it's old mining ground. It yeah. was all clear cut years ago for so when they were mining and then you'll get this it's not part of the natural terrain. It's just a, a comb bank from the tailings and everything else. And then there's pits, there's trenches. And when you get in there, you know, and you check the wind and you see, it's just doing tumble sets everywhere. It, it's, it's a nightmare to try and hunt some of these. You could use some of these trenches and these comb banks to your advantage because yep. it can corral them into and neck down in areas and make pinch points. However, the wind is going to be your Brains. biggest adversary yep. in those places. Yep. Because they 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 know it more better than you do. Oh yeah, yep. And then once they smell that, they're they're on edge. And then you know, yep. Because they're yep. like, oh, that's not normal. Yeah, and some like I said, I this I'm mainly a rut hunter. I've always been mainly a rut hunter. I always try to find a, a pocket of does and try to pattern them and get on them. They're my live bait. Mm-hmm. And then I go to areas like those uh, communication hubs. And I just, you know, I go for high percentage areas where I know there's going to be multiple shooter bucks. I, I very rarely try to target one specific individual deer. And uh, I just go for high percentage areas uh, during the rut. Now, this year, though, I felt this past season, I realized I probably should have been a little bit more aggressive. Okay. So, so future, elab- yeah, elaborate on seasons. that. Yeah, elaborate on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cold fronts there's a couple yeah. times where i i felt there was cold front came in uh in the berserker buck uh area there was cold front that came in and the wind the wind would have been close but i'd have been right off his nose okay and i just i i wasn't aggressive enough i said nah i'm gonna play back off of it if i would have pro- i think if i would have perhaps moved up maybe another hundred yards to where i felt he was traveling i think I might have had a better chance at getting him because that that particular day I have him on camera. Mm. I checked at a later date when I pulled the SD card. He was there, and I use it sixty yards in our in our area. You won't see that deer sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it just I I played it too safe, and I just realized that because I have so I'm used to the old adage of okay, there's a big buck in the area, play it safe, you know inch further back as the season goes along and then the rut be right on top of them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you're going after one specific deer, yeah. But I'm starting to realize, well, I have all these other shooter bucks on camera. Who cares if I blow one out? Right. I, I can go to another one. So right. I, now I can, I 
have the confidence to be more aggressive now. Now there's a situation where a cold front moves in the first week of October. Screw it, I'm going in right after him. Yep. You know, high risk, high reward. Yep. You know, if I blow him out, there's always others. Yep. That was that was one thing that I actually wrote down as we were talking, and I wrote down like mm-hmm. stock in your year, like meaning how much stock do you put into a particular quote unquote time frame? And you were just saying like you really like I'm the same way. I would consider myself a better rut hunter than than anything else, right? Yeah. Just because of you know, was, man, I don't know how many times over the last my whole life basically going from middle from opening day until middle October, how many buck I have actually seen. And I'm talking like at least a six point, like not very many, you you know what I mean? It's from that middle October on is when I'll finally start seeing some, some bucks. So, you know, how, how do you like, and you just said high risk, high reward early on. If I'm, if, if you're putting, you know, you get that, that, that either that camera or that Intel by scouting, all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I guess that kind of leads into the whole, it's like a two question because uh, I was going to ask you about your scouting per se of like in season, right? So like mm-hmm. how much you do and how much does that put into a stock of your year? Like, Hey, I'm getting this buck hitting this camera or I have eyes on them and it's October 4th, right? We're only like two days into the year or prior to the season. You know, do you go for broke potentially on an opening day? If, if, if you have that, or if you're like, you know what? I'm going to play the waiting game or like how much stock do you put into it to your season for when it comes to the timing? Again, previously, like I said, I, w- I was a slow burner. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. like, I, I'd play it safe. Like uh, the year I had the first interaction with Berserker, I went into that area and I, I was in the game. I was in a really great spot, but I wasn't deep enough. I, I actually saw him at 70 yards with, the, with his little harem of does. There was like yep. six or seven doe that morning. It was a set. It was end of first week of October. And I saw him. I said, okay, backing out. And I'm going to come in November 5th. I'm coming in. and I'm going to throw him out of his own party. Right. I came in. He was there. I was there. I just wasn't paying attention. And well, that was that <laughs> I, I was looking, I was looking one way. Luke was filming me. He was looking the same way I was. And then I heard something. I went, he's behind me. <laughs> and I went and he was standing there 27 yards in my shooting lane. There was nothing I could do. I yep. had to watch him walk away. So I, as a, as a lesson now, I'm going to be a lot more aggressive. I feel I have the ability to do that. I have the know-how to do that. I've walked these areas hundreds of times. Yep. It's I know it. I just have to have more confidence in myself. I have to stop second-guessing myself. Yep. Stop second-guessing. Be aggressive, like you're saying, and what that has, and what your in-season, post-season scouting, like just scouting in general, allows you to do is to do that because now, like you said, if you go in and you fuck it up. You have more, yeah. you have other areas, right? Like you, like you, exactly. you know, you don't like for me, dude, like that's where I think I've burned myself the last couple of years because I'll put all, like I've even said it. I put all my eggs in the bat in this basket. I put, I've done this. And when shit doesn't go right, I'm like, damn it. Right. Like, cause then, cause <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll like, there'll no. be a time where I'll, my wife's like, well, why don't you just go down the road? Like on the public land here, peace. And like, I've done it. And it's, you know, October 20th or October, mid-October or whatever. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like, I know I've hunted certain areas, but I don't, and by the time I get there, because it's either after work, I don't have time to scout, right? So what, I, yeah. so what I've done already is 
I've been out more, right? I, I'm having areas backup plans. So again, if things start getting wary or out the window, at least I could, you know, have an idea. Yeah. The one thing, like you, you mentioned in season scouting, finding all, uh, checking all my cameras during the season, I said, I don't go out of my way to check the cameras. I check my cameras as I hunt the areas. Yep. And what I started seeing and what I noticed, uh, on my kill cameras, the cameras, uh, the areas that I hunt. And then I actually, uh, pulled the cameras in areas that I'm scouting for the year in advance. I checked them all. I went back, went historical weather data. I went historical wind. I mean, I went real in depth on it. And there was a time frame of between October 17th and the 22nd mm-hmm. that there was a couple of times that the temperature actually dropped more than 20 degrees. And that was brought up on another podcast by uh, Shirk. Uh, Shirk. Yep. Shirk. Yeah, he brought that up. And I made note of that. I'm like, holy shit. You know, it is a big, it is a big factor. And during that week, there was so much daylight activity and mature bucks on my cameras and everything else. So that's going to have it. Like I said, that opened my eyes to a new strategy. Yeah. And what really, like I said, uh, I tried that out this, this past season with the uh, scouting ahead. Mm-hmm. As you know, you uh, brought up uh, for future seasons, not seasons I'm not even going to step into this year. Or should, or should they spots I'm not even going to step into this year, this season, because uh, I just feel it's less intrusive for me to just go ahead. Okay, I found, say, I find a new spot this spring. Okay, I there's sign everywhere, but I don't know how they're using it yet. Mm-hmm. It's not that evident. I mean, there's sign everywhere. It's all tore up, but because, like I said, there's no agriculture, so there's no directional pattern of feeding. Right. You know, they're right. just like browsing through and uh, it said it's super thick everywhere. So bedding, you're trying to find a specific bedding area. There's areas they may prefer to yeah. bed over one or the other. Throw something at the, at the screen. You'll find it then. You know what I mean? Wherever it lands. Ex- exactly. So what I decided to start doing is that I said, uh, throw up camera, uh, you know, over these uh, communication hubs, three or four cameras, maybe five or six, maybe even fucking 10 cameras. It all depends yep. on how big the area is. I'll doctor up the scrapes. I put cameras over scrapes and over real hard run trails or signpost rubs. And because if you put on, if you put uh, cameras over like in the spring when people put you know, mineral blocks, I think you attract more people than you do deer. Yeah. That's like, uh, you know, putting a flag up saying, Hey, I hunt this area. Mm-hmm. And you're going to, you're going to wear your batteries out with thousands of pictures. So it, to me, that's pointless. So I put all my, my eggs in, in a basket with the scrapes and the signpost rubs, or if a trail is super pounded, I'll put a camera on it. But, uh, to me, when I do that, I won't step foot after I, I dock those cameras up. I'll doctor them up, uh, right in the first week of September, and then I will not be back until the end of archery season. And then when I pull them, I can go ahead without ever stepping foot in that place. I'll have an idea of how they use that area, when they use it, you know, direction of travel, timing, everything, yep. weather patterns. I have that all without even stepping foot and putting any more un- unwanted pressure in that area. I also get a beat on if anybody else is using it too. Exactly. So what, you know, I could go in and hunt that area this year, but what if somebody's already in there? Well, that was a wasted hunt that I could have done or possibly killed a buck in another area. Right. So that's why I scout for a season ahead. Yep. I like that. And then 
let's talk about then the scrapes because that's something that for the last three years for me, I've tried to learn and get diving deep, you know, talking to Pottinger, talking to just a bunch of other people. Um, you, you know, Troy, Troy, you that can't go wrong with Troy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, between Pottinger and, and Troy that actually owns buck fever, uh, mm-hmm. sense and lures and everything like that. I just, um, it, it's funny because how I was just saying, growing up hunting with my dad, we've done you know, mainly rifle hunting, except for like, same age as you. I was 13 when I killed that my first doe with a with a bow after shooting and missing her first time. The second one, my my kill shot actually killed her in the leg. <laughs> right? It was just you know just so bizarre. I th- and I yeah. swear my dad just told me to do it because he knew I wanted to do it so bad. He was probably thinking there's no way he's going to kill this deer or kill a deer. And lo and behold, I did. But um, you know, the like three years ago, I told him, I'm like, Dad we got to really look into this scrape stuff, right? Because dude, I don't know how many times up on that mountain I, we would find them, but they wouldn't be like prevalent, right? They wouldn't just be yeah. like now, now. So I could find them a lot easier just because of, again, gaining that knowledge, right? What to look for X, Y, and Z terrain features and, and the actual types of trees nearby uh, for licking branches and such. But you know, the first year, when it, when it passed, it was like more so hunting season. He's like, wow, look at all these deer, the doe and this and that. But it was when it was like the now time frame, right? It was when it was February, mm-hmm. March, the April that just passed. That's when he, when he would see these deer still consistently hitting them, he was like, holy shit, Jerry, you know? And it was so cool to see because Damn. I was like, I know, like, isn't this awesome? Like, this is a great thing that we could incorporate, try to find natural ones as well and, and so forth. So I guess talk about your strategy, even from doctoring up to setting it up to setting over it for hunting, because that's always been, you know, I've had guests on, especially Troy. I'm like, you know, what is your setup over it? You know, do you set up uh, XYZ that you could shoot to it? Do you not shoot to it? Because I know Moose does the same thing, like Glitzky when he finds one and all. I there's I know there's all different methods to it. Yeah, it's it's honestly it's uh, situational based. Now, yep. um, Moose said it once before. I heard him say that he'll set right up on one if the case calls for it. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it, it's all situational, depending on the terrain, the type of vegetation around. It's everything. Um, you know, climbable trees. You know, there, you know, I mean, even with you know, uh, you know, my mobile hunt, my mobile hunt hang up uh, setup. I'm running a one and there's still certain areas that, you know, are real screwy to get in. And the only trees I can get in aren't the best, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I really can't make do with, with a situation like that. So again, it's all situational as far as doctoring them up. Um, uh, well, what I look for in a scrape first yeah, of all is, you, you know, loca- location, 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 location. I mean, that's, that's the first thing to go. I mean, if it's, near on the edge of super thick cover, which I'm perpetually always in. Um, if it's near within, you know, bedding areas. And like I said, they can just plop down wherever. But if I see, you know, actual active bed sites, you know, near these scrapes, then I'm going to be definitely honing in on that spot. Um, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> all shapes and all sizes. I always used to look for like the big giant car hood, dinner table size scrapes. Yeah, they're important. Absolutely. They're getting the camera on them and I'm going to get, you know, a, a tree picked out. That's going to be, you know, 
perfect for hunting that spot. Yeah. However, one of my most productive scrapes was probably maybe three feet long. That's it. You know, nothing spectacular, but the, it had six licking branches coming off the witch hazel tree that was that it was uh, under. And the licking branch obviously is the most important part of the, of the scrape itself. The dirt work, it's, it's, that comes along usually in the fall, but they're using them licking branches year round. Yep. And that scrape for some reason was a hotbed. I had six different mature bucks smoking that scrape in daylight. It was just unbelievable. And it was actually in areas I kicked them out where they, where they winter bed, but, and, uh, to where I've kicked out uh, a big group of does. Is it, uh, on the Southern facing side, it was like in a, a thick transition period or perhaps position uh it was like hidden by laurels and greenbrier okay like if you you actually had to walk it and this is the only time i really will say that snow helped me out to see you know the use of travel between like that that trail was invisible during green up you would have never expected deer to go through when everything started to die off it really showed through and then there was a scrape right there like i said and it was like a hotbed and it wasn't a big scrape it just had a shit ton of licking branches on it and you know, that, those are the things I really look for. Uh, the spot where I killed my buck this past season, I got up on that ridge. I found a bed looking down. Now, this wasn't as gnarly as uh, reclaimed mine ground that I was on. Yep. Uh, it's super thick up on top, but then gives way to bigger open oak forest down below. And uh, I was up on this ridge right below the super thick stuff. I found rub after rub after rub. Uh, signposts. It was just tore up on top. I'm thinking to myself, man, with all these rubs up here, there, I found a few beds that were looking down over. I'm like, there's got to be something tying it together here, some type of communication other than these signposts. There's got to be a scrape tying it together. And I'm looking around, and I look up, look off to my right. I said, there doesn't look like the dirt work is there for this. And then I just so happened to look right in front of my face. I look, there's a licking branch, and I look, there's another licking branch, and there's another one. It was all twisted off just above my head. I'm like, that has to be a pretty big freaking deer to be freaking twisting them branches all the way down you know, up there. So, and I ended up, you know, killing my buck right around that spot, only maybe 20 yards from that actual scrape. Yeah. So I really look for location uh, in a scrape. And then uh, when it goes to doctoring them up, I use, uh, I know you use buck fever. I, I started using Smokies okay. uh, about seven, seven or eight years ago. And I just do, I go through the whole regimen. I put gloves on and the first thing I'm doing is I get twine, just cheap stuff. What the hell was it? Durable packing string I get from Amazon. It's seven bucks here. Take a look at it. For yep. You. yep. See that? Yep. I go ahead, I get rubber gloves on. I, I tie that onto the licking branch. I make like a little ball. Like I tie it over top of itself, make a little ball, knot it up and I'll put preorbital gland scent on that on that uh, little twine ball because if you just put it on the branch itself, weather will wash that right away. At least it'll hold a little bit longer on that twine. Yeah. Above, uh, above on the licking branch, maybe six to eight inches above that or on a branch right next to it, I'll put another twine ball and I'll put forehead gland scent on that. And then after that's doctored up, I'll go ahead and I'll put interdigital gland scent in the, the actual dirt work itself. And by doing that, you're creating the whole illusion of another buck, a whole other profile of another deer. Because you figure if a mature buck's coming to that scrape, he knows X, Y, and Z deer. Every deer that comes by there, he could probably put 
a face to that set because he knows his area. Yeah. You know, he's in, he's in constant co- communication with those other deer. So he already knows, Oh, this scent, this is Bob. Oh, oh this is so-and-so, you know, you put a scent in there of another animal that he has no clue who it is. It's going to kind of make him curious or piss him off. Yep. In Berserker's case, that drove him insane. <laughs> you know, other deer, you know, you're trying to get them to come back to investigate. You're trying to make it a habit. Right. And if you can get them, even if it's on the edges of their core area, if you could pull them out of that area for an extra five minutes out of their day, that's five more minutes you have a chance to kill them. Yep. Yeah. I, I found... Witch hazel, like you said, man, they just tear it up. If there's, every, it just seems like every witch hazel that I ever found back good at home. Good food source too. Yeah, good food source. They just pound it. Like I've had, I've, I've found one, actually recently here scouting here this past season. The whole way around it was torn up, like literally mm-hmm. 360 degrees. There was like um, a two by two by two scrape, a bigger one. Then it was like on the other side, like the whole thing was just torn up. Um, same thing. Like with you, I put the gloves on, I bring like a little miniature rake. If I'm doing like the whole mock thing, like where I'm yeah. creating one rubber boots, uh, work, uh, what I do is, and you know, people may scoff at it, but it works for me. And I've proven it time and time again, I spray my boots down with, I spray my boots on my pant legs down with deer dander. Mm-hmm. Team Fitzgerald deer dander. I don't know why, but it works. And I put on the bottom of my boots and around the soles of my boots, I put that Evercom. Oh, yeah. And I've had I've had bucks walk right over my walk-in trail. And maybe a few extra curious sniffs, but pay no mind to it. Yeah. So that's what I do before I go in the woods. Yeah. That's scouting a good tip. or anything. Yeah, that's a good so, tip. I like that. But, but I just go ahead and I scrape the ground with my boot, you know, just normal, normal way about it. And like I said, I still get mature fuck on camera. So I must be doing something right. Yeah. I like that. Here's, um, kind of transitioning a little bit, Trav is. Sure. We talked about it earlier when we were saying about having like, unlike me having eggs in one basket, you have that opportunity to be more aggressive because you're, you're scouting a ton of more yeah. areas and hunting a bunch of more areas with all these hunting areas. How do you prioritize them when it, when it comes to that? Like, do you, and when do you like, do you say, Hey, this spot, like how we were saying earlier about putting stock in a year, like this spot, this is a, a nice, like early season, hopefully doe Haven. This is, another spot where I know doe keep, but then later in the year it gets really good buck movement. So that's when I do that. Like, how do you, do you do anything along those lines of like, here's this area, here's this area, here's this area. And this is good in certain periods of the year. Yeah. Uh, two seasons ago, I had that problem. Too many (laughs) spots. I was spread out too thin. I could never make a a conscious decision. I ended up just like rolling a dice at the house. I'm like, ah, we're going to go here. Yeah. And I, you know, I would, you know, strike the fuck out, but, <laughs> uh, now it's, uh, it, it, it's a little bit more methodical, um, this year. It also helps out that I got all that in season information and it really helped me decide, okay, I'm going to put the bulk of my time and investment on this Ridge. It's, you know, three miles long. I have several different areas. I'm going to hunt on it with the communication posts. There are the hubs up there. And, two other areas I'm going to focus on and that narrows it down. I'll play on 
wind. And because uh, I've hunted those areas before, I know how the wind uh, goes in some of those areas. I know which areas to stay away from on certain winds. So it all depends on, you know, that wind, you know, if it's, you know, a south wind, I'm going to go here. If it's a north wind, I'm going to go here. I have, you know, spots up for that. I do have the doe dilemma. I, 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 <laughs> cause I couldn't get on doe last year, which like I said, sounds silly, but, um, in there, yeah. I went out and scouted. Yeah. I went out and scouted for actual, just legitimate doe areas this, this year, early season to get them out of the way. I said, okay, they're definitely coming here. They're definitely frequent here. There's feed, you know, Lots and lots and lots of food available for them. This is this is where I'm going to go stock my freezer. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's good because, like I said, I think that is same thing. I, I think about a couple of years ago when Dimitri and I, we were talking, and we always would say we have plan A, B, C, D, E, and then F, right? But then when you have mm-hmm. those, you're like you said, you're throwing a dice like, where am I going to go? And, it, you know, it's trying to be a little bit more methodical when you're deciding on where you're going to hunt. And that leads to – you know, a question I, I think I over ask, but I like to hear everybody's thing because right. Like I'm learning and we're all learning as, yeah, as we listen to this. Absolutely. And one of the questions like that specific question is how do you know, or like what takes, what makes it like that right spot for you? And I guess this is where like, take, <laughs> take, take the whole scouting out of it. Like take, you're going on an out of state hunt to Ohio right? You didn't really get a chance to get a lay of the land basically, other than looking at it, at it on, on the e-map. Right. And like you said, we could, we could look at it and be like, Oh yeah, look at that saddle. And as soon as we get up there, it's shit, right. It's not going to be, it's not what it is. So when you go to somewhere where maybe you you haven't been or Hey, heck it could even be your normal spot or area, but you're like, Whoa, how come that's there? look at that's a brand new scrape. Like you get that spidey sense. You know what I mean? You're like, I think I need to be here. Like, do you do any, is there anything that checks the boxes, right? Like that, I guess that's the question. Like what, what boxes need to be checked for you to be like, I'm hunting here or I need to be here basically. I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to put this so it doesn't, uh, I'm trying to put this as politically correct possible. As possible. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes my britches move. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it, it makes my makes my pants tingle a little bit when I get in those areas. Uh, me and Luke say that all the time. He'll look at me, and goes, "It just moved." I said, "Yeah, this yeah. is the area." It, you, I got into a spot where you could still you smell deer, you yeah. smell them, and there's scrapes there. The you know the sign is there, the activity is there. There's deer shit on the ground. I mean, when you have all that come together, terrain. If it comes next, if that, if you could notice, they're using it. Um, there's a saddle up above and they're using the terrain feature that comes down into that flat. You really got to pay attention. If it has all the hallmarks where it has, okay, you got scrapes, you have food available in the area. Cause I've been to a spot where, okay, there's five gigantic scrapes in this one area. This is awesome. And I brought my buddy Tim along, who's a forester. He goes, yeah, but they're not staying here. What do you mean? There's scrapes here. There's bedding over there. He goes, yeah, but they're not spending very much time here. Do you notice there's no shit on the ground? He goes, because there's no food here. Yeah. So, you know, they may point. come by and check these scrapes at certain points. They'd be checking them at night, night, right? So, at night, yep. He goes, it's got to, you got to have something that wants to, want them to stay there. So you get an area that has food, scrapes, has, you know, I don't know why, but I haven't found a spot, 
an area I'm referencing is Scrape City. There's not a lot of rubs in there. And, I mean, there's a few, and they're giants, but it, it didn't explode with rubs. But the scrapes there, the shit is all over the ground. There's oak trees available. There's witch hazel there. There's green briar everywhere. Yeah. It's when you have all those things come together in one area. And like I said, the terrain feature lends its way to it. You get that that like sixth sense, you know what I mean? Yep, exactly. I love I the, the one thing it's going to sound funny. The one aspect of of this of that answer that I'm glad you mentioned and I think a lot of people don't say is the shit. Yeah. <laughs> like cuz that tells you they're spending time, time there. there. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt. And that's the one thing that like you know, if I find an area or something, that's the one other thing that I've trying to I've been keeping an, an eye on is basically if I go somewhere and I find a couple rubs, a scrape or whatever, and there's a lot of deer shit, I'm like, okay, they're here. Like they like being in this general vicinity they're rather right. Time. Other yeah. than maybe like a two rubs, you know, like, Oh, like, I don't know how many times I've posted on my Instagram, whatever, just cause it's, I like, you know, it, it's a cool maybe photo or whatever of this nice rub. But if there's no crap around, no shit around, there's, there, he's just made it and he laughed. He walked on, right? You know, yeah. or whatever. Or there's no deer, a lot of deer con, converging to this one specific area. So that's the one little, I don't think a lot of people say it, you know what I mean, as one of the, yeah. the thing, but that's the one aspect that I've been trying to, uh, I know it sounds silly and simple and easy, but it, it, if they're not comfortable there, then they're not going to be there. You know, my dad been harping on that since I was a kid. I remember him saying, this is the best sign you can ever find. And I'm like, what's that? He goes, deer shit. He goes, if you find tons of it in one area, that means they're spending an, an obnoxious amount of time there. He said, get in that area. He goes, because that's where they're spending a lot of their time. It's a, whether it's a staging area or whatnot, that's where they're going to be. He was, he's old school thought. You know, he has, he's, I brought him along with the scrape knowledge and everything else. And, but he was always thinking ahead a little bit, you know, for his time. He was, like mobile before it was cool. You know, he, <laughs> <laughs> he was always, you know, he had his built stands, but at the same time he had his climbers and I, he was one of the first guys that, you know, I remember saying the first shit is all your, always your best shit. Yeah. He goes, because it's, he's like, I, for years I would just walk into an area and scout my way in and say, okay, this is it. Boom. Oh. Scout. You know, yeah. And then and, and hunt. You know, it's, he, he was a little bit ahead of his time in that. I would say, you know, he's been hunting that way since the eighties. Yep. So, you know, that brings, but, uh, that, that brings me up to, we didn't have a lot this past season of rain day situations where, yeah, you know, like where it's lightly raining or just raining a little bit. And then it would let up before say, I mean, you, you work in second shift. It wouldn't necessarily be your, your bread and butter, I guess. But man, I remember a couple of years ago, like even the, the deer that Dimitri missed two, yeah, two falls ago when we went in because it was a Saturday it was raining hard all morning and it was not letting up until about three o'clock. So we went in about 1230. We're like, Hey, just bring that rain gear, bring an extra jacket with you to change into if you get completely soaked. And we went in scouting our way in and we found some really good fresh sign. We set up, I had some deer movement. He had some, and the one he saw was a decent buck. He shot at it. We didn't recover. And it's in that article actually that you wrote, like literally when you're like little bit of bubbles and it, it you know, like it yep. was, that was it to the T. Um, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, dude, like that is the one, 
thing I, I'm trying to think back to last year. I do not recall many rain days where it allowed to let up and, and already be set up and uh, hopeful for some deer movement. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie, a little secret here. Uh, I'm a scumbag fair weather hunter sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it's rain, sometimes I really don't feel comfy going out. Just it all depends. If I can see the rain's letting up and it's just like a heavy mist or yeah. like an on and off drizzle, I'll go out. But if it's any sort of like constant rain, I hate being out there. Um, call me a, you know, a wuss, pussy, whatever you want to call me. I, it is what it is. I just don't feel comfortable trying to track a deer after yeah. I hit it in the rain like yeah. that. I mean, I feel I'm a very competent tracker, but I, I've been on too many occasions, um, too many tracking jobs with friends and everything where it just got washed away. And that deer ended up getting found weeks later where it was, you know, eaten yep. up. Yep. But, you know, it, that just horror stories, you know what I mean? Oh, that yeah. that oh, always yeah. made me hesitate hunting out in the rain. Yep. Two two more. I got two more left, and one of them is going to be – Sure. Um, you're hunting multiple states, I think, this upcoming year. So what does – this year yeah. kind of entail for you? <laughs> well, I'm going to hit New Jersey early, fast and hard. Uh, it opens up two weeks before Pennsylvania's uh, statewide archery season does. So I scouted out with a local, uh, oh, I shouldn't say local. He's a, he's from Pennsylvania, but he hunts Jersey a lot. Steve okay. Strell, it's backwoods bow hunter. He is on Instagram. Smart guy. He kills some slobs. And uh, we went out on a scouting session uh, into Jersey, northern, more northern Jersey. And uh, found found a couple of good spots, good areas, uh, big, giant, like communication, a big scrape. I mean, we're talking like eight feet long. It was Oof. just gigantic. I went, and I hunted the area previously in years previous, but I just for some reason I neglected this little corner by the swamp, and I really shouldn't have. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, and better late than never. Yeah. But I went in there and went. I really did not know this was here. I can't believe I'm, I was just dumbfounded. But that's going to be probably my main spot. I'm going to go after, uh, and be aggressive and hit that up right off the bat. And then Pennsylvania, I'm going to try. Like I said, be more aggressive this year. Pay attention to that first cold weather front that comes. Uh, yeah, cold front that comes through. I'm going to start making moves. Uh, I'm going to Kentucky with Justin Sinnon from uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. I have a. I hunt scheduled with him down there last week of October. Oh, nice. So we're going to get down there in the pre-rut and see, uh, try and make it happen down there. Then after that, I come back to Pennsylvania for three days. And then it's off to Ohio the second week of November. Okay. So try and get that knocked out and done. Uh, I already, I've hunted out in Ohio for years and had, I've had uh, success out there. So I already have predetermined spots that are producers year after year after year. They're way back in. And it's, it, it's a bitch to get the deer out, but you know, it's worth it. you could see a monster. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely worth it. But, uh, then hopefully if I'm successful in all those areas, uh, I'm going to go to Maine with my buddy Tim again, cause I'm kind of addicted to that style. And that's no, well, it won't be archery. That's rifle, but, uh, it's going to be all tracking. Yeah. That's you just locate them, track them and hopefully you get that shot yeah. opportunity. Yeah, it's a different world up there. It's a different challenge. It makes hunting down here look like isn't it? Isn't that so cool? That's the one aspect that we've talked about recently this spring. Well, I should say like winter, spring on with certain guests is man. 
we always hear the the glory of Iowa and like, don't get me wrong. Like I'd give my right nut to go hunt Iowa every single year, you know, like type of ordeal. I have five points yet. <laughs> I have five points. Yep. I, I, I got to get out there. I have five points. I shouldn't be doing it, but uh, I've been putting it off, but yep. yeah, the glory of Iowa, but at the same time, Maine, man, yeah. like, like such a cool, like prospect. cool, cool hunt, right? It's near, I don't want to say it's nearby, but it's in our region. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like it's, you don't have to go out West and you know, that was the one thing again, I like, don't get me wrong. I, I do want to hunt elk one day. I do love the, when I had the opportunity to go out for mule deer, like such a cool species. It's an awesome hunt, but you know, family and other things and being close by, you could do some really awesome, cool hunts. Oh, absolutely. I'm lucky enough that in a sense that, I hunt, like I said, I work second shift so I can hunt every morning, but, uh, my job is really lenient. I get like five or six weeks of PTO. Nice. I, I, you know, um, of course, you know, when I'm using it, <laughs> I'm not, not going to be dumb. Uh, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a significant other. I don't have anybody I have to factor into it. So I just go and do my thing. Yeah. So, so it, it's, Blessing and a curse, I guess. Some people say, oh, you know, I said, well, at the same time, when you're saying, honey, can I go hunting? I'm just going. You're just <laughs> you going, yep, I mean? exactly. Do you mind? I don't have to factor that in. So I'm blessed with that situation that I can go out and hunt all these states like that. Yep. Like that guys like yourself that have other obligations yep. with family and kids and, you know, as a teacher, Jesus, man, you, you got to really pick it, pick your times to go. Yep. Well, so. th- there's like a national friggin' sub shortage. So now it's, it's crazy, man. Like the way, the way that works and stuff. So, but mm-hmm. you know, you, that's why those early season, like Western hunts or early season whitetail it's, I mean, it's, well, I shouldn't even say whitetail, but well, North Dakota and stuff, they open up what? end of August, early September. August. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, there's, there are times, I guess that maybe one day I could pull it off again, but yeah, not so, not so much more so recently. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Like I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to do my best. I'm using all my PTO time for, for that big, uh, that big push this year. And yeah. we'll see what I come out on the end with. You know, I have, uh, I have a, a lot of confidence in myself to make it happen. I, I'm not going to be, Oh, I'm only going to shoot that. No, I'm going to say if it, it's a mature deer, it's going down. Yeah. I don't care about, you know, inches or whatever, you know, I'm going for, for age. Yep. I like that, so. man. And then, uh, last one to, to ask is, you know, as a, any type of hunter, new hunter, old hunter, just still gaining knowledge, all that shit. Kind of when it comes to next season, how could someone, or what is one thing someone could do to be a little bit more efficient? To be more efficient. Wow. That's a good question. Read, 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 read up on everything you can. That's a that's something that is lost upon our generation. You know, I think, you know, most people are listening to podcasts. You can get a lot of great information off of that, but real reading, there's stuff that's been written by guys that are long dead that aren't going to be on the podcast yep. that, you know, is valuable information. So just really, educate yourself on every every angle you can think of mm-hmm. being versatile you now semper gumby flexible you know yep. be, be willing to adapt at you know at the slightest inconvenience you got to be able to adjust and shift flyer i like so, that i like that adapt and and read out dude really good ones i like it dude um sweet man well we will We'll be getting together here soon. I know uh, 
we'll we'll hammer down some some dates to go scouting and and figure out where we're going to trek along and have some fun chasing some whitetail for this upcoming year. And uh, man, I'm looking forward to seeing what what produces for you in all all those different states. I think you're going to have a hell of a time and and just a blast <laughs> doing it. Uh, I'm going to be. <laughs> I kind of like, I, I feel very confident, but at the same time, I'm like, I could also have my ass handed to me <laughs> oh, really yeah. easily here. But at the same time, that's what keeps me coming back because it's like that, that nervousness about it. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. It's like, am I going to make an ass out of myself or am I going to come back and be like, yo, I'm king shit. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it is what it is. You know, it, it's all about experience. And I know one thing for sure upon this whole trip I'm doing this year is I'm going to learn. Yeah. I, you know, I may not be successful, but I'm going to learn a lot. Yeah. So, and to me, that's invaluable. Oh, 100%, dude. I like it. Well, Trav, where could people follow you, what you're doing, obviously, on online, maybe other content, all that jazz, and uh, plug all of it? Uh, you want to follow us along on Anthracite Antler Addicts. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, just, you know, I'm also on YouTube. I have a channel there. I don't have very many videos up yet. As last year, I just stuff happened way too fast. I didn't have time to plug cameras on. That's just the way it was. But uh, I am filming this whole season, so there will be documentation going along. So Anthracite Antler Addicts on YouTube, like and subscribe. We also got a bunch of stickers and decals coming out here. I have a serial killer line coming out. So it's based upon serial killers uh, cinematically and realistic uh, with uh, <laughs> a little bit of comedic swing to it. So oh, yeah. we have those for sale. Contact us up and uh, we'll ship them out to you. I like it, man. Dude, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm telling you guys, great dude. I hope you learned some some stuff. I wrote down a bunch of stuff and uh, really, really joy to talk. And we'll we'll do some videos this summer and uh, some fall together for sure. So thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week. Till next time, Antler up.